before we actually get deep into the message. The first thing is that, and I'll be referencing my notes a lot because there's some specific things that I really need you to get. So the first thing is that whenever you're studying the Bible, whenever you're breaking down a Bible, whenever a revelation comes to you, from the Lord when you're reading or you might be doing something else, I am convinced that the Lord first deals with you about an issue, not only before you can teach it, but also before really you can give it to someone else. Because he's always never give you a word that you can't eat first. So not only that, but to own the truth of the revelation in which God gives you. So it's just not enough to hear it and be like, that's for me. But to own the truth of what he's actually saying. And with that, and with that, there is the truth of the life that goes along with owning the truth. So there's the revelation of something in which God speaks to you or that you see, and then there's the owning the truth of what he shows you. And then there's that life that comes with it when you do both. So everybody has been through testings, Everybody has been through trials. And the crazy part about it is the thing that actually qualifies you to handle revelation and insight, if you have. Because the thing about it is that you're not just looking for answers. And you're not just looking to answers to problems to soothe yourself, okay? But we become the type of people, like the Bible says, like the merchant, seeking goodly pearls, right, who found one pearl of a great price and sold everything he had in order to acquire it. So it's not the fact we're just looking for short answers to things, but we're looking for something that when we find it, it's one of those things that allows us to let go everything else because it's of a such great price. Or, as the Bible says, we become like the woman who lost a coin. Then she searched the whole house. And so we've come to that part in our life where and a lot of people has that there has to be more to life. This can't just be it. Me wake up in the morning, me go to work every morning, me watch the kids and teach. The, there has to be something more than just this. I can't just be here to be here kind of thing. So in saying that, the crazy thing about all of this is that we know that the Bible has always spoken about these things. And it was always this way that you would come through suffering, right? Trials, right? And tribulation, but not because your father delights in you going through things. He doesn't delight in those kind of things. But suffering and trials are the fires of refinement that allows the dross. Do you know what dross is? Dross is when metal or gold is heated at very high temperatures. That is when the dross or the worthlessness, so the rubbish, the foreign matter, the scum that's formed on the outside of the metal, it comes off. Now, this is important, and God does the same process to emerge you out of you so that the refiner, who is your father, can scoop it off 
and keep addressing it and removing the dross until he can actually see the reflection of his own face. So, many people have come to this place. So the Bible says, count it all joy when you have suffered many kinds of trials for the spirit of glory in Christ begins to rest on you when these things happen. So, what I want to do is launch the first message of Sonship Messages. Now, the title of this message today is Sonship in Christ, the Original Plan. Sonship in Christ, the Original Plan. Okay. Now, like I said, we'll be coming through the book of Ephesians, and the writer of Ephesians is Paul. Now, the first thing I want you to know about Paul, I always like to give a little bit of a background. Um, A few things about Paul is that, first thing, that he did not have the privilege of being one of the original 12 disciples. So he did not have the privilege, of course, of being taught directly by Jesus with all the rest of the 12 disciples. His ministry really did not start until after Jesus was crucified. That's when his ministry began. The other thing I want you to realize about Paul is this, that in him writing the book of Ephesians and the other books that he wrote, He did not have also the privilege of having the Old Testament before him. But with saying all of that, Paul writing the book of Ephesians, because the book of Ephesians in which he writes is the book about how to maintain Christianity, despite whatever you got going on in your life. So, Ephesians 1, 3, we're going to read all the way through 14. And actually, I would like to read this together. Wanted to do something different because I really need this to go in you. So, we're going to read this together. Hopefully, we'll get it in unison. I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. So, let's read 3 through 6 first. Everybody ready? All right, let's go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Okay, stop right there. So... This is a little nugget I want you to keep in the back of your mind. So before God made the world, got to go back, say it again. Before God made the world, it says he chose us in Christ. That's important. Now we're going to continue. Let's start at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Let's continue. Verse 7 through 12. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. 13 through 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, it's like, why would I have you read all of that? <laughs> So I want to unpack that. That was a whole lot, I know. <laughs> and to do that, I want to also introduce the first portion of the book of Hebrews, which we will get to. Now, the book of Hebrews, and actually in the beginning, Hebrews, chapter, Hebrews 1 and 1, it is a mirror of this, what we just read, okay? So speaking of the Son, so in reading Ephesians again and again and again, you will hear as a thread through the book of Ephesians in him and you will also hear in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is one of the main themes in that book. So before God made you, before God made the ground out of which he would then form you, right, and infuse the spirit in you and set you on the earth in which he would call, what, Adam. And from that one, many would come, right? Before he did all of that, the Bible says that he saw you in Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace. So, when we understand that mystery, right, we will begin to understand the glory of the Father evidenced by his grace. So, this is the grace in which he's speaking about, that God loves mankind so much that he would form him, correct, and see him in Christ before, that's the key word, before he actually executed him forming man on the earth. Because we got it kind of backwards. So when we see that, right, it would elicit from us what real true praise is all about. And it would help you in your position and in, in far as your mentality of who you are in Christ. So let's go through a few things. First thing, so we got the clear some myths up, okay? First thing that Whatever is true of the sun, now I'm going to go slow on purpose. Whatever is true concerning the sun, meaning Christ, and the reason he is called the sun is to indicate to you that you are included in the reference. So anytime you see the word son or Christ in the Bible, that is not just pertaining to the son and Christ. That is also a reference to you. Because the thing about it is this. It's a reference to you in the mind of God being your father because it's not an accident. 
you were not an afterthought. Meaning he didn't say, let me make the world. <laughs> then I'll figure out a plan to save man. That is, that's not the way it went. You were, when he thought about Christ, he saw you. Then these things came after it. So the Bible says he saw you in Christ, meaning that you were included when he thought about his son. So God did not make man and then decide to save him. God made man as an expression of his grace. So when we understand that, it draws out of us a whole different mindset. That you are seen, you are not seen, correction. You are not seen in the mind of God apart from being in Christ. When he thinks about his son, he thought about you. So, we'll go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So when God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, he is talking about what he foreknew. Remember, because he saw you in Christ. So he's talking about what he foreknew and how he would initiate that step to bring about in reality in this realm what was already what he already knew. Next thing is, so basically what I'm saying is this. When he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, the man in which he was to become, the man in which he already knew in his mind, who was that man? Christ. The man in the image and the likeness of God was not the one he squeezed from the dust of the ground, which was Adam. Because we, ha we have to know that if you plant an apple tree, apple seed, you're gonna get an apple tree. You're not gonna get an orange. You're not gonna get oranges from an apple tree, correct? Okay, so in likeness, if he's saying the man after, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, the man in which he's referring to is Christ because flesh begets flesh and spirit begets spirit. So the man who is in the image of God is the spirit of God. And the one who is in the likeness of God is in the fashion of God as spirit. So that is what God saw when he initiated it. So after that initiation, then Adam came, that seed. So if you don't believe me, I got proof. For those of you that do not, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Because I know like, I don't know about that. Okay, we're going to clear it up for you. So 15 says, who is the image? Christ is the image. Now we go back. Genesis, he said, and God said, let us make man in our image. 
So Colossians says Christ is the image. Isn't that what it say? That's the image we're being fed to be created like. So it says Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now notice it says, not only is he the image of the invisible God, and the image in which they talked about in Genesis, it says that he's the firstborn over all creation, meaning that everything came through him. Then it says, not only is he the firstborn over all creation in which things were created, but then in verse 18 says that he is the firstborn from among the dead. So he was the first to actually get victory over death. Now concerning this son, this is what he says. The Bible says in Hebrews I don't think I have it up there, but Hebrews 1 and 2, if you want to write it down, it says that he appointed him, meeting God, appointed him who is him, Christ, error over all things. And he is speaking in the last days through his son. So he is speaking in the last days through Christ incarnated in human flesh. Now, this is not news, new news to God, okay? Because God saw us in Christ when he made us. So the gospel, I would like to believe, I know some people probably will fight me on this, but that's okay. The gospel is not the gospel of salvation. It is the gospel of reconciliation. Meaning to put back, to cause to be the thing that was in the mind of God in the beginning. That wherever there is a reference to the son that is inclusive to you. That the son who could not possibly be understood apart from being included in Christ. Okay, so we got that. So, before he created the heavens and the earth, is what Ephesians tells us. So, let's go back and look at that for a moment, okay? So, we're going to set this thing up again. So, this is from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 4. So, now that we have that understanding of how God saw us in the beginning and the image and he saw us in Christ that we are not apart from what he saw but are inclusive into what now inclusive into what he saw now that we have that part down we can move forward Ephesians 1 3 through 4 and it says blessed be the God and Father that kind of now sticks out since we've been reading some other things, but we'll move on, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, where? In Christ. Just as he chose us, once again, in him before the foundations of the world. So the Father chose us in Christ. Now, who is Christ for our purposes? So I'll say this first. If there's a reference 
to God as being our father in this very scripture. It says, blessed be the God and father. So if there's a reference in this scripture to God being our father and Christ being the son and we are in Christ, therefore we are sons and daughters of the father because we are not apart from being in Christ. So he chose us in the son before the foundation of the world. So before he made it, before he called it up out of it being formless and the Bible says that darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit hovering before all of that even took place, he saw us. So what does that tell you? It tells you that everything that he made, he made it because it was foreknown to him that he would make the son, which is Christ, but that plan for the son would not just be for the son, but that would be for those who come into the family of God. Now, remember what I said in the beginning, if you ever see in the Bible when you're reading a reference to the son or to Christ, that includes you. So you can put your name in there too. So, you know the reason God does not despise anyone and he's always waiting for whether you haven't, you're not in God and you're not saved yet. The reason why he does not despise anyone because he knows why they're lost. He already knows also how to reconcile them back to himself because he saw them in Christ. So he is bringing, the problem is that now we need a message that brings the heart of orphans back to the Father. Now that's the issue. So he is bringing forth a people in which I believe that will have the same knowledge, the same understanding, the same wisdom, that they will rise as sons and daughters of God and of righteousness at a time where, as you can see in our nation, there's a time of brokenness. People are searching for God and they don't even know they're searching for God. They're putting affections in so many other things, not realizing the very thing they're searching for really is the Father. So the thing is that God, which is our father, as you see in the scriptures say, intended to put his glory on display. So let's go to John 1 and 3. Real short, John 1 and 3. The Bible says that he made all things and without him, was not anything made that was made. I know it's kind of short, but it say a whole lot. So what are we seeing here? That the intentions of God as being the creator, the intentions of the father to have offspring, to create, the intention was entrusted into the very hands of the one who could come to execute it, which was Christ. So that it would be suitable for what the son understood before the foundations of the world would be necessary to support his being and destiny when he comes. So I said all of that and I can say this in a short phrase that <laughs> it says that he made all things and without him was not anything made that was made. So in order not only to execute the fact of bringing his son, Christ, and putting him in the body of Jesus, he made all things for him. 
So not only was everything made through Christ, but everything was made for him. We'll go into more of that. Romans 8, 19 and 23. And it says, verse 19, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, didn't we just read in John 1 and 3 that he made all things and without him was nothing made that was made? Then we said everything that was made was made for him. But then I turned around and told you, if you see that it was made for him, that includes you. So this confirms the fact that it was made for him, but it included you. It says, for creation was subject to frustration. Creation is frustrated right now because you don't know who you are. Once you understand who you are, everything will just, like we always tell you, we seek first the kingdom of God, you practice righteousness, all things will be added unto you. How is it that mathematical equation works every single time? That thing, you don't have to search for that stuff. It's, being, it's attracted to you because it was made for you. When something is made for you or you have an inheritance for something, what prevents you from receiving your inheritance or somebody willing you something in a will? The only thing that prevents you from getting it is what? Maturity. Because right now, if, not going to it, <laughs> my father my father, my mother, or his, my, my husband's mom or dad dies, and they have a will, and they willed a whole bunch of stuff to the kids, or they have a life insurance policy, them being at the age that they're at right now, when they're going to need a guardian to be over that for them, or it's going to be stipulations in the will that once they reach 21, 18, an age of maturity, then this certain amount will be released to them. They ain't got to go seeking for the will. It's, it's spelled out right there. They ain't got to go ask, be asking for, you know, is my 25,000 still in there? What do you have to ask for that? It says right here. That for fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars belong to you, and the only thing separating you from it is your age and your maturity. So it says, for creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice. It's it's not by because it, it was made for you. So this is a, not a choice of creation. They didn't make themselves. Creation didn't make itself. It says, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated. You free creation from bondage. When you begin to understand who you are. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right now up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is the first fruits of the Spirit? Christ. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What am I telling you? 
I am telling you that when this whole thing begins to unpack, as I know God is going to unpack it, creation will arise in support of anything that is a legitimate son or daughter of God. It will respond to it. It says he made all things for himself, anticipating, knowing the end from the beginning. He made all things. God ordained it so that he should make all things, all things made by him, all things for him. Now we're going to see an example of that. Now we saw a measure of what I just said when he was in the boat, when Jesus was in the boat, in the storm. Matthew eight twenty three through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O ye of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? He was sleeping because creation was made by him. Creation was made for him. And the fact that it was storming and he was on the boat did not alter that reality. So I'm telling you that the reason that creation groans in anticipation of the revelation of the sons and daughters of God is because we have not yet been revealed. We don't know who we are, but the time has come for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God in the earth, and then creation will respond in this exactatory way that it was designed to do so, just like it responded to Jesus. So we are coming most definitely, and I believe, into a different shift in a move in ministry. There's definitely going to be some resistance, just like it was back then. But that don't mean because there's resistance doesn't mean that it's wrong. So, it was always foolish of the church, as always, to tie its economy to the fortunes of a nation or to the world. This is always a foolish move. And I say that because it always should be tied to faith. Faith is your currency. So, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, remember, who made all things, everything was made for him, everything was made by him, okay, remember that. So whom he has appointed error of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now keep in mind again, you are in the Son by the intentions and the original plans of God. So the word for image here 
It says, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The word image here that you see in the Greek, that word is character. Character, C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. It means an engraving tool. Image. So the son is the image of the father or an engraving now, why in the world is that important? I know you're thinking, like, why are we going over this part? Because we need to go to Exodus to see. Exodus 24 and 5. And it says, do not make a graven image or the likeness of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters under the earth, do not fall down and worship them. Because I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. Now remember what we said worship was, to become like the one in which you worship. So it is routine for people to infer that God has a characteristic like man that is entirely unattractive. He says that he is a jealous God, but he's not speaking in terms of jealousy as man becoming jealous. It's something totally different. So consider the context we have before us. It says, do not make a graven image in the likeness of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters under the earth. Do not bow down and worship it because I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. Why would he be jealous of a graven image? Because when God said, let us make man in our image, God executed the only authentic representation of himself on the earth. So he engraved it so that if you make any other representation of his image, it is going to be false. And you're pushing a plan that he didn't have in the beginning. There was only one thing in creation that was engraved by God himself to carry his image and his likeness on the earth, only one, which was man. So he does not care if you have sculptures and pieces of it in your home. What he doesn't want you to do is worship it to the point that you become like it. Now, he is also not talking about the form that he created out of the dust of the earth. He's not talking about the essence of being in which he, um, in which, which we see something and it's like a, a religious thing. Because you were created to bear his image. And you can see it all throughout society. That you know a person's whether it be their favorite artist or somebody in which they reverence, they begin to look like that person. We be seeing like a whole bunch of people that, for instance, look like a whole bunch of Lil Wayne's, a whole bunch of Nicki Minaj's. They're worshiping these people. They're becoming like the one in which they worship. Hmm. So, When, when he died, meaning Jesus, we had the capacity to carry his image and his likeness on the earth. However, he also gave us the capacity of functioning on the earth. So what does that mean? That he gave us a soul so that we could interact with the earth but our spirit was given out of God to connect us to interact with our father. So when man separated himself from God, what happened? His soul took over and he would no longer connect to God as God designed him to do so. So we're now operating from our senses, 
our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, how we feel about a thing, how we see a certain thing, but it's coming through all of our natural senses. So man is still made in the image and likeness of God, or he has the potential to, he has the power to, to be conformed to the image. Now, let's go to John 1 and, 1 and 12. And it says, but as many as received him, who is him, Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So when he saves you, when he rescues you, which is the point of bringing your soul back under the subjection of your spirit. So when you receive Christ, and you come into the family of God, there's a change that happens. So you not are just ruled by how you're feeling for the day. If I wake up depressed, that's just how I'm feeling for the day. If I wake up anxious, that's just how I'm feeling for the day. I'm just gonna roll with that. However I'm feeling today, it's just gonna rule me, my decision making and everything. But when you come into the family of God and you receive Christ, the opposite happens or it's supposed to happen. Now, the soul is supposed to be subject to the spirit. So how are you going to be made in the image and likeness of God again? How are you going to carry his likeness on the earth? Simple. He is going to have to conform you again to the standard that he once put in the earth. And the standard, of course, is called, as in the Old Testament, they would call it a rod or a measuring stick. Because he is the standard. We're not the standard. We didn't make ourselves. So Isaiah 11 and 1. So we can see proof of this. It says, a shot came up out the stump of Jesse to become a measuring stick, the authentic presenting again of God in the earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he is the rod in which they're referring to. The rod is not for beating your kids. The rod is to conform them to the standard who is Christ. We used to have this thing called, you know, back in the day, everything is so more advanced now, but we used to carry rulers. When we was going to school, but now everything is like electronically measured. But it was a ruler because it was an agreed upon standard. Now every ruler you see in the store don't have its own standard. If you get a ruler from Walmart, and if you get a ruler from Office Depot, it has the same standard. It's an inch over there, it's an inch over here. A centimeter is the same centimeter over here. So when you are put in Christ, it is inevitable that you are going to be conformed to the standard of the sun. So that's why I'm really not for all these different kind of religions. You got a standard over here, and then you got a standard over there, and then you got a standard. There's only one standard. So, and the reason because of this is because we are sons. And the reason why, this is also the reason why we have different stages of sonship. Because we are being conformed to the image, which means that grace is allowing us to get to that standard. So the final stage in which we know in sonship is weos, the son who is presented as the image and likeness of the father. At this stage, the son or daughter is capable of handling the affairs of the father's house, the one who becomes the image and the likeness of God to the full measure. So the last thing I wanna to talk to you about 
is a word that a lot of people probably didn't even want to talk about. And it's like, okay, we see the word in the Bible, but we're going to leave it where it is. <laughs> and that's the word propitiation. Propitiation. Hebrews 2 and 17. It's like, why are we talking about this? But we'll, we'll get to it. Propitiation. And it says, therefore, in all things, he, meaning Christ, had to be made like his brethren, meaning that he had to come in a body. So he had to be put in the body of Jesus. He had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. Why? Because we did not have a clue as to who God is and certainly we didn't have a clue of who he was as a father. That had to be demonstrated. That had to be seen. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, we're going to go to 1 John 2 and 2. We're still on propitiation. 1 John 2 and 2. It says, and he himself, me and Christ, in the body of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, what is propitiation? And how does that relate to the Old Testament when it talks about the Ark of the Covenant? So, well, it's this. So when we sin, we know in Adam, we all die. When we sin, we establish an impenetrable wall of separation that separated ourselves from God. So, if we look at this from a Greek understanding as it relates to their gods in which they worshipped, propitiation for them was an offering to the God that appeased the God. But this is not what it's talking about in Hebrew. And it is not what it is in regards to Christ, who is our propitiation. Now, it is this, that once we were separated from God, the only way to be reconciled back to him is to be in something that God looks upon as equal. as that which is acceptable to him. So not only equal to him, but something that is acceptable to him. But we could never be acceptable to God again once we had been separated from him. Okay, so God established before the foundation of the world that he would come as a son to be propitious, meaning to include us in that form of God that was acceptable to himself. So that when God sees us, as the Old Testament would say about the Ark of the Covenant, we are in the box of the Ark of the Covenant. We are inside the box. So we are underneath the covering. So that is why the box had to be sprinkled with blood in the Old Testament. Because it was a reference to the price that had to be paid when he would come into the earth. That is why it is called the Ark of the Covenant. What covenant? the covenant he made before the foundation of the earth between himself. So I'm here to tell you that there is no possible way to be acceptable 
or accepted to God as father apart from being in the box. Being in the ark. Just like Noah was in the ark. Jesus Christ is the ark of this covenant. So as much as possible, humans were shown that the ark was designed to be covered in blood. The blood of the righteous is an acceptable substitution for him. So God does not move anywhere from being holy from being righteous, there was no other way except that God saw us in Christ. Just like in the Old Testament, in the ark. So, it is not just the cross of Calvary. That is where the transaction was done. And a lot of times we stop there. That was the, the, the cross of Calvary is where the transaction took place. But the more significant understanding of the cross is that it allowed for us to be included in Christ. That whatever was made for him was made for us. Whatever he inherited, we inherited so when God sees Christ, he sees the beloved. So that's why you are accepted to God in the beloved. Because God swore an oath to himself. And that was the only acceptable way in which he could do that to include you. He is our propitiation. So we got to get used to that term. It means he is how God sees us. Because God intended before the foundations of the world to include you in Christ. And there is no other way to see this. You are not a mistake. You are not something that just happened. You are not an afterthought that God made the world. And he was like, oh, I got to do something with these people. They just disobedient. You're not an afterthought. This is something that he thought about before he did all of this. And you have to see yourself in Christ. Every time you read the word, you have to see yourself replacing the word son, replacing the word Christ with your name. So I pray that this is, this is actually, like I said, this is the first of the Sonship series or Sonship, I don't want to use the word series, Sonship messages that is going to come. Because like I said, the way in which we were taught, the way in which the gospel was given to us. We need a whole new way of thinking. Because the thing about it, we got to get to a point where we can't continue to do the same thing and continue to do the same thing and it's not working. If it's not working, that means either we off or we're still in something and God is not there no more. And so we need to move. We need to make a move. And so, like I say, I pray, like this is, a, this is the foundational message. So I pray that you would take this, you would study this, and not only study it, but you can take it into yourself as a truth. So that not only that you take it in as a truth, but you would benefit from it. So you can see it actually manifest in your life when you actually begin to not only see yourself how God sees you. And that was always in the beginning in Christ. He all already, he always had a plan for you. So let us pray. Father, we thank you right now.
Father, we thank you, Father, for your word. Father, we thank you for this message, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Father, for your people, Lord God. I thank you, Father, as we continue, Father, in the ministry, Lord God. I thank you, Father, that you will begin, Lord, to open our minds, Lord God, and help us, Father, see, hallelujah, ourselves the way you've seen us in the beginning, Lord God. Father, we need to know, Father, the truest intentions father as you as a father we need to see lord god that you had us in mind father before the foundations of the earth lord god before you created anything father before father there was an earth and a solar system lord god you saw us in christ father you included us father in your family you father foreknew father that you would save us father you foreknew father that we we would be in your family you foreknew lord god that you would have many sons and daughters father and that creation father would respond lord god to mature sons and god father that you have on this earth and we thank you right now father for what you're going to do father with this revelation in jesus name we pray amen